something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What can you really tell about someone from a picture? Can you determine their ethnic background? Whether they're introverted or extroverted? Can you tell if they're genuinely happy or just playing the part? What if you zoom in or out? Can you infer things like wealth or religion from the furniture or personal objects in the background? What about a tight shot of a presidential hopeful on the campaign trail? What kind of crowd would you want assembled around you to communicate that you're the other guy, the progressive anti-establishment choice? And who could say those things for you simply by being at your side? <laughs> now, you see, this little bird doesn't know it. Oh, my. I think... I think there may be some symbolism here. I know it doesn't look like it, but that bird is really a dove asking us for world peace. No more wars. That's Bernie Sanders at a 2016 rally in Portland, Oregon. You may remember this moment. He's going on about the merits of public education when a tiny finch lands on his podium in the heart of the Pacific Northwest. It's a moment straight out of the show Portlandia, irony and serendipity all wrapped into one. Sanders takes one look at the bird and raises his fists like a magician who just conjured a rabbit from a hat. It was a whole thing. The Sanders campaign started selling Birdie Sanders merch. Of the more than 11,000 attendees, who is stationed directly behind Sanders? Jen, Sarah, Marcus, Devante, Abigail, Jeremiah, and Sierra Hart. There they are on a Friday morning in March, jumping up and down in matching royal blue Bernie t-shirts. I saw them and they're, you know, they're right in the direct head on. This is Mark Levitt. 
He worked as Bernie's director of scheduling and advance work during his 2016 presidential campaign. He even helped create and popularize Sanders' A Future to Believe in branding efforts. He remembers the bird moment well. I mean, geez, best laid plans, right? Um, you know, we, we have no way of planning for that sort of thing. I mean, that was, that was actually a level of serendipity that in my entire time working in scheduling in advance, I'd, I don't think I'd ever encountered. It was said half-jokingly at the time, but, you know, there was some sense in which he had sort of performed a miracle or whatever. I mean, I, you know, this, is, this is what people were saying online. And this wasn't the first time the Hart tribe had gotten near the senator. Earlier that same week, Jen roused her family at 4.30 in the morning to attend a rally in Vancouver, Washington. She wrote on Facebook that she had the kids stand for four hours in the rain to ensure they wouldn't miss out on this opportunity. She even made the blue shirts herself. Family friend Nusheen Bakhtiar says members of the Sanders campaign approached the family and invited them to attend the Portland rally. Here's Lauren talking to Nusheen about that day. They went to the Washington rally, and there it was Bernie's campaign people that sort of gave them tickets to come to the Oregon one. Yeah, and they asked them, and they put them, they like wanted them to sit right behind them. That video of Bernie Sanders putting a bird on it with the Hart family squarely in the shot, it's been viewed over 2.3 million times on YouTube. Part of the reason that you, um, you know, you want to craft that shot behind the candidate very carefully is because, uh, and, and this happened with Obama on a handful of occasions, the, the, the people in that shot functionally share it with the candidate. From Glamour and How Stuff Works, this is Broken Hearts. I'm Justine Harmon. And I'm Liz Egan. Crazy things like this, moments of infamy, seemingly random or unsolicited brushes with fame, like that viral photo of Devante crying and hugging the cop, they were nothing new to the Hart family. Yet, despite the relentless fascination from the outside world, friends like Ian Sperling marveled at Jen's ability to protect her children from prying eyes. Our field reporter, Lauren, chatted with Ian over the phone back in May. Ian Sperling is a dad who often met up with the hearts at shows around Portland. Jen would tell him that the kids were developmentally delayed from their terrible lives before they were adopted. And Ian bought it. So that was why the kids acted a little differently. Maybe that's why Devante smiled all the time and seemed to act a little younger than his age. Or why Marcus and Jeremiah would look listless and suddenly snap into smiles and personality when he greeted them. Jen also explained why the kids were so thin. They had a vegetarian, organic diet. She always had an answer for everything. I mean, when I say that Jen was good, she was good. And she made parenting look unbelievably easy and awesome. And there was no red flags, zero. Like the way she, you know, respected Devante's privacy when he was, took the picture with the cop. And the way she would talk to us about that stuff in private. You know, it's like, we looked up to her like, wow, she's the best parent in the world. We're horrible, you know, kind of thing. Jen often wrote about the importance of protecting her kids' privacy. Once, when a Facebook follower asked if she'd ever considered a reality TV show, she said no. We've had multiple offers in this area, she wrote. No amount of money 
would ever be worth the trials and tribulations that would surely come from media slash producers manipulating our lives on a TV show. Ian remembers hearing about the offers. She was extremely stressed, doesn't know what to do with getting offers from like Good Morning America or the Today Show specifically and a few others to take him on there and she declined to do that. Now that plays into what we're learning uh, now because obviously uh, we learn now that there was some abuse charges in Minnesota. They're, you know, um, fleeing to Oregon, for lack of a better term. And so there's probably more of a reason why she didn't want to go on national TV. Uh, at the time, we were thinking, wow, phenomenal parenting. Nice work. You're not exploiting your children. Perfect. That just adds more to the legacy, you know. Liz and I have talked about this part of the story a lot. How could one family, one seemingly interested in maintaining a low profile and living off the grid, consistently find itself in the news? How often, really, do people become famous, like virally famous, by accident? Mark Levitt says from his experience, not that often. With respect to getting back and in behind Bernie at the Bernie rally, I would say that if they had seen the process at the rally that they had been to a few days earlier, that would have given them a hint that most people otherwise don't have as to how to do it. Uh, so that, you know, most people, when they arrive at these rallies, this is their first rally or their only rally or whatever. It's not that common to have people go to these rallies twice in part because they are pretty onerous affairs. Uh, you know, you wait for a long time for the candidate and that sort of thing. So uh, you don't get a whole ton of repeat customers, but if these were repeat customers, then they could have very easily seen how, the selection process goes for getting people in that shot, in that head-on shot. So be honest. What does a photo of two moms and six Black kids say to you? Depending on how you were raised, your background, and your life experiences, it could mean any number of things. For Zippy Lomax, who first encountered the Heart Tribe back in 2013, the family was the perfect visual symbol for the kind of transformational, inclusive music festivals she attended and often photographed. They were very unique, you know. And I know I'm not the only person who, who it was just sort of like a natural term that would kind of come out when you would see them showing up at places. Oh, look, there's, a heart, there's the heart tribe. <laughs> Beloved is just one of many, many that have this very similar kind of... Uh, goal, I guess, of like, you know, like experimental community, different ways of coming together and, and being supportive rather than competitive. As a photographer, Zippy observed how these festivals could serve as a form of emotional release. Attendees often dressed up in costumes, with hundreds of people standing on a lawn, rocking and swaying to the music. Footage from the events look more like emotionally raw group therapy than raucous jam sessions. In a video posted to Jen's YouTube page, Devante and Jeremiah are at the 2012 Project Earth Festival in Minnesota. The boys, both under 10 at the time, have flowers around their necks. Devante is wearing his free hug sign. They're both dancing. At around the 45-second mark, you hear Jen's voice. You going to give Nako a hug? Jeremiah runs up to Jen's favorite musician, Nako Bear, who is dancing shirtless in the crowd. The two embrace for a few seconds, while Abigail, Sierra, and Hannah dance nearby with Sarah. It's one of the rare moments you get a glimpse behind the curtain. 
Some might see it as proof that Jen coerced the kids into performing for the camera. But if anything seemed off when the family was in public, onlookers like Ian Sperling didn't notice. In our eyes, these are superhuman people. Like, they're living the perfect life, they're perfect people, they have perfect kids. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Zippy noticed their infallibility, too. She started a friendship with Jen, one mostly maintained over Facebook Messenger, and frequently took pictures of the family. All of these events are opportunities for people to kind of reinvent themselves and experiment with what it would be like to, to be, to show up in a different kind of way. So it's hard to say because people are maybe not showing up at those events in the same kind of um, wearing the same persona or even the same kind of clothes that they would wear in just everyday life. Between shows, the festival crowd kept tabs on one another on Facebook, where Jen racked up the likes. Her feed was full of well-staged family photos and long-form captions. A post from January 29, 2016, shows silhouettes of three of the Hart children at sunset. 
The location is Malala River State Park in Clackamas County, Oregon. It reads, Him, sitting in the mud watching the sunset. Do you ever think society overcomplicates life? There's so much busyness, technology obsession, and worrying about crossing things off a to-do list while forgetting what it's like to be. Her. Be what? Him. Alive. This zest for life and Jen's seemingly endless awe for her children is something Friends of the Hearts loved about her. In fact, she is often described as the more gregarious and social of the two women. Jen and I were closer. She's also an amazing photographer, and so we had another point of connection there and um, mutual respect, I guess, for each other's craft. But we were friends on Facebook, and we interacted in that way. And so I think that like in this age of social media, it's interesting because we feel like we're more... Um, engaged with people than maybe we actually are. <laughs> I I was very much uh, engaged, like commenting and interacting with Jen and the, all the amazing photos she was posting about the kids and definitely kind of a, aware of what was happening in their lives. The last time Zippy saw the Hart family in person was at that same Bernie Sanders rally in Portland where the bird landed on the podium. She was there once again to take pictures. Zippy read us a Facebook message Jen sent after that memorable day. So she was telling me how she was watching me instead of Bernie Sanders. Watching you work your magic behind the lens was so special. Seeing you just made that much more magical. She saw me capture that bird moment. Caught a glimpse of you capturing the beyond amazing bird moment. I love you. Um, and then the, she just said it made her heart. This moment genuinely made my heart explode in the best possible way. This is how Jen Hart spoke. On her Facebook page, a feed of countless posts that span from 2007, a year before she and Sarah adopted their second set of biological siblings, up until March 22, 2018, four days before the crash. She was effusive and passionate about everything, from her children to her wife to the many animals the family rescued and rehabilitated. In a post from June 26, 2013, she wrote, in what reads like something from a children's book, of a red robin and a baby blackbird she discovered in her yard. The young blackbird hopped onto my knee and proceeded to look me in the eye and go back and forth between me and nuzzling the baby robin. It was beyond clear that he was trying to communicate a message. I lightly stroked the back of the robin's neck and checked for injuries. This has been my deeply connected purpose for as long as I can remember. Take care of all beings in need. Like so many of her posts, it feels just a little too good to be true. Along with the post is an image of Jen wearing a gray graphic tee and cuffed jeans, several beaded bracelets lining her wrist, clutching a small bird between her palms. She added an inspirational quote from an obscure science fiction author named Lloyd Biggle Jr. Life is life's greatest gift. Guard the life of another creature as you would your own. It was the kind of slightly mythological story Ian Sperling knew well. I think she was a master Facebook poster. Like I've never seen anyone articulate so well with photos. My wife said something that made sense, like, after everything was done. She says, there's not even paint on the paintbrush. <laughs> you know? 
And, and that was, a, you know, like a Facebook picture. And, uh, you know, and you're like, whoa, what? So it was like staged, like a staged photo maybe. Because they're, they're sitting in front of a canvas, the painting. Look what the kids are doing today. And then you look on the paintbrush and there's no paint on it. Now, granted, you as a mom or whatever, you're like, oh, shoot, we just did that. We didn't get any pictures. Hey, you guys, let's grab a picture real quick. You know, what have you. But at the same time, in hindsight, that's probably a little bit of the case, you know. It was almost too good to be true. Ian tells one story about how the Hart children befriended a homeless man. And his version has almost the same hyperbolic language Jen used in an April 2013 post. There was a gentleman who was, uh, and if I told you this already, I apologize. Um, they were, she took her kids down to the Clackamas River one night. And they were playing around. It was a hot, sunny summer day. And they're playing around down there swimming. And Devonte and two of the other kids walked down the way to what looked like a homeless man. And Jen, in her, the way she told it was, I didn't know what to do uh, if I should let my kids talk to this homeless person who looked extremely disheveled um, and a bit suspect. <laughs> but she's taught her kids to not be afraid of strangers, proceed with caution, but to spread love in this world. And they went down, talked to this guy, blah, blah, blah. Then she saw them hugging this guy, okay? And the kids walked back. And she's like, what was that all about? And they're like, oh, we just wanted to brighten this guy's day up. You know, of course, beautiful kids. They, and that's, this is no exaggeration of how they would be. Because I watched it 20. And then the guy walks down to Jen. He goes, are these your kids, I assume? And, and she said, yeah, yeah. And he says, well, I got to tell you, they just changed my whole life. And she goes, oh, how so? And he goes, that hug I got from him, I don't get that from anybody. See, the problem is I have face cancer, and half of my face is gone. So I look really scary. And it's terminal. And he goes, I don't have any hope. I look like a homeless person. He goes, I, I'm not. I have a home. I have money. I just look scary, and I'm just completely depressed about the end of my life. And your kids just took all of that aside, saw me for who I am inside and gave me a huge hug. He goes, that meant the world to me. I can die a peaceful person. You know, something along those lines. This is Jen telling us the story. So now do you take it as a grain of salt or what? But I've watched the kids do this to people, so it didn't surprise us one bit, you know. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. 
On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The last time Ian saw the hearts was in November 2017, four months before the crash, at a NACO and Medicine for the People concert in Portland. In a quiet moment... Sperling told Sarah that she seemed worn down. She said, I'm just so tired. He hugged her, said he was sorry she had to put in so many hours at work to support the family of eight, and Sarah answered, thanks. I don't hear that very often. So I think she was definitely a fangirl, like following these bands like Nako, uh, Trevor Hall, uh, Xavier Rudd, some of these bands, and like getting to know them. And this was her backstage pass with these kids, you know? And the look on Sarah's face every time was, cool, I'm just taking along. I got to work in a few hours. And that was it with Sarah, constantly. That night at the NACO concert last November, Ian noticed that Sarah took most of the kids home after sound check, while Devante stayed on with Jen through the concert. This was the only time he noticed anything remotely strained, anything other than synchronicity in the relationship. And it wasn't even like they were fighting so much. It was just Sarah's tired. She wanted to go home. She took the kids. Jen and Devante stayed, danced the night away, and then left. And uh, so that was it, you know. And we just were like, oh, cool, they're normal. To say that Jen was the fangirl while Sarah was the adult with the job would be an oversimplification. But Sarah did work a lot. She was an assistant manager at the Coles in Hazeldale, Washington, where she put in long hours, sometimes six days a week. Her colleague, Cheryl Hart, the one who requested a welfare check the same day they were found dead, remembers Sarah as super professional on the sales floor, but relaxed and chatty in the back office. One thing about Sarah is she was most definitely a talker. It was always a bit hard if you got caught up in a conversation with her because she would just rattle on sometimes. And Sarah would often talk about her home life with Jen and the kids. I mean, she would definitely talk about her family. One thing I would notice, though, is that she would never, she would never mention, like, the kids' names. She would always just, you know, say the kids or, you know, like, the girls or the boys. I mean, when she first came on with us, she let everybody know right off the bat that her family was... The family with the hug heard around the world, basically, the hug had gone viral. And 
I didn't know anything about it. So I actually had to look it up and I was just like, oh, okay, well, that was pretty cool. And, you know, she said that it wasn't cool. It caused a lot of stress in her family and, and it had really changed her wife and not for the good um, that Jen had come really closed in and really depressed and just it had just changed her immensely. But Cheryl, a mother of two herself, understood the pressures of co-managing a household as a new mom, especially with so many kids. She would talk about how the the kids would stress her out. Um, you know, I have two kids myself. So, I mean, obviously two kids versus six kids, it's, it's different. But, you know, there'd be times where, we, you know, parents get times where it's like, you know, my two girls are be like, oh, my gosh, my kids are driving me insane. You know, and she would say the same thing, like, oh, yeah, when I get home, you know, I have to take over and deal with the kids because, you know, Jen's had them all day. You know, when I get home, I got to deal with them. Tensions plagued the family, according to newly released emails made public in October 2018. In the months following the adoption of Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra, their days appear to be a chaotic jumble of post office runs, paperwork, and dentist appointments. Six dentist appointments. Sarah wrote to Jen in April 2009. I will take my lunch hour from 1 to 2 to help out with the kids during that time waiting there. Sorry I made such a mess of everything. That same spring, Sarah tried to get pregnant with donated sperm and later suffered a miscarriage. Jen wrote in July 2009 to an administrator at the agency that facilitated the adoptions. I don't know what else to say, really. Now we just take it one day at a time. True to form, if there was anything stressing the family, overwhelming schedules, infertility or mental health issues, even racist stalkers, you would never know it from Jen's Facebook. But back in June of 2017, Jen told family friend Nusheen Bakhtiar that someone had left upsetting racist notes in their mailbox. The first time Nusheen Bakhtiar encountered the Hart family was at an event Nusheen put on called Portland for the Philippines in 2013. It was a concert series for charity hosted at Nusheen's dad's place, a Mediterranean restaurant called Blue Olive. She noticed that all the Hart kids were sitting at a table and had incredible posture. Nusheen had Jen in her phone as J-E-double-N because she says Jen dropped F-bombs all the time. So Jen was her favorite four-letter word. The first show was at my dad's place. It was all ages, and they brought, Jen and Sarah both came, and they brought all six of their children. And at first, they were sitting at a table right in front of the stage, and um, they were just eating food, and they were super polite, and they were all sitting really, like, um, with just the best posture that I had ever seen, like, kids have. And then to see, like, all the kids have that great posture, I was like, holy crap. So that's, like, actually, I think what I commented on and how I started talking to Jen and Sarah. And then, um, yeah, I was like, oh my God, what is up with your kids? How are they so well behaved? And she's like, oh, you don't know. That's just because there's not a dance floor. That's how it happened. So we moved the tables and we, we moved their table. They were done eating and we made a dance floor. And that was like my first connection with the children. We spent the rest of the night, you know, dancing and having fun and all those like pictures a lot of those pictures are literally from the first night and like we're all holding each other and there was just like this really great connection I've always thought that that's because 
I think other people tell me it's because I'm a person of color, but I always forget that I'm a person of color. So they're like, people who are young, who are like that, who are POCs, need other POCs to look up to. But I never, I always forget. I didn't even know what POC meant until somebody applied for a job last year. And they're like, hey, seeing as you're a POC and I'm a POC, I think we could get along. And I was like, what? That's not how that works. We're all just humans. Nusheen remembers the good times they had and the collective effervescence she experienced when the family was all together. She even talks about Jen and Sarah like they're still alive. Jen loves Sarah to an insane degree. And she always has, and she says the most beautiful things about her. Have you seen Jen's Facebook? In fact, even though Jen would text Nusheen about her growing anxiety about being stalked, harassed, and threatened on social media about the Trump election or the never-ending, racist, bigoted feedback from that photo of Devante at the rally. She was convinced the family was adjusting well to life in Washington. The last year of my friendship with Jen was pretty much me reaching out. We talked. She confided in me. But me reaching out, asking her to come around, asking her if I can come up there, her sending me photos and videos of upgrades of the house, And then, um, and they were happy. They actually were really, really happy, I thought. When it comes down to it, isn't that the weirdest part of social media? Aren't we all guilty of looking at a picture of a smiling person and just taking it at face value? Who among us hasn't looked at someone we don't know all that well and thought, damn, those people are pretty perfect? You may remember a similar story. Madison Holleran, the UPenn track star who jumped off a parking garage in 2015, and whose sunny Instagram feed didn't betray her own struggle with mental illness. Much like what happened there, Nusheen believes these social media platforms come with deadly side effects. I think if it were not for social media that they'd still be alive. Absolutely, 1,000%. I just feel like because of that second persona, you know what I mean? I feel like if that second persona wasn't there and she didn't dedicate so much time to focusing only on the good and only being comfortable and only being, you know, only being vulnerable when it came to the good and not just learning to be vulnerable, vulnerable, then then she could have actually sought help and her experiences in this life would have been more real and meaningful. I don't think social media is a real or meaningful thing. I think it can bring about real and meaningful change. But I also think that when we're lying to ourselves and then we are posting that lie about ourselves that we want to believe, and then we're getting this fake feedback of, of, you know, acceptance and all this type of stuff, then, then we're, we're literally causing harm. We were crushed by this idea. So we invited Dr. Amy Serbis, a psychologist for the online therapy site Talkspace, to discuss the psychological effects of social media. She says the medium can trick a viewer into thinking they have more information than they actually do that sort of two-dimensional or even one-dimensional flat perception of what's going out there or going on with somebody's with somebody's life. And so you might, that sort of lack of compassion or even curiosity, because you already know. It's like a full, complete picture out there. If they are then revealing that this is what's going on, we might not really be invested to reach out or to care or to connect because those pictures tell a different story. 
One of the things that really stuck out to me is that when their quote-unquote friends that they saw and interacted with were interviewed, they kind of were like, maybe we didn't know them as well. And I think that begs the question, what were their interactions like? Were they not sustained and why weren't they sustained? Would they rely on social media as opposed to picking up the phone or continuing a more in-depth relationship, but we become lazy and we kind of rely like, oh, I'll just catch up with them because I'll see these posts on Facebook as opposed to a real conversation. And those are that sort of question and bigger concept of relationships and how we sustain them and the meaningfulness of relationships that really stuck out that that really wasn't present for them. Zippy refers to the process of looking at pictures and only seeing what we want to see as confirmation bias. You might remember that term from Psych 101. Here's Zippy. We had our own confirmation bias that we were looking at them through this lens of compassionate understanding or who we thought we knew them to be and of love and care. And of course, can you blame us for not being so quick to, to believe that our these people we loved and cared about were capable of something like this. We were looking at them with a lot more willingness to imagine that this was a horrible accident. And so the, the details looked very different to all of us. Ultimately, the inability to suss out the truth about who her friends really were, and the inability to see past her own confirmation bias, is why Zippy got off Facebook. So much of my um, engagement with Jen in particular, was via Facebook. So I only saw what was represented there. But it it basically corroborated what I had experienced when I witnessed them in person. So there was like, there was nothing about the way that, that Jen was presenting their life that seemed um, at all at odds with with my understanding of who they were. Zippy's in a different place now than she was when she knew the hearts. She's gotten to a point where she can picture Jen doing something like this. I'm imagining Jen having a moment of just feeling like she had kind of dug herself into some hole that she would never be able to get out of. That, I mean, I just feel like I, I can see her having kind of a moment of desperation. I'm imagining Sarah being maybe sleeping, maybe other kids being asleep too and her driving and her just like, you know, the only, this is the the only answer and they're never going to leave us alone and the only answer, the only way I can protect them or like the only answer is to to this awful thing. I'm going to drive off the cliff. No matter what happened in the moments leading up to that crash back in March, Zippy thinks at the core of this tragedy is Jen, a woman who had reached her breaking point. I feel like one of the things that has been totally, um, there has been no acknowledgement here is like, this was somebody who was desperate enough to kill herself and to take the lives of all the people she cared about in the same breath. And what I want to know is what led to that? What happened to Jen? Next time on Broken Hearts. You know, when you say specifically cured meats, it was like, is he going to run away? I saw Jennifer scolding him. She went inside and left him standing out in the rain. Wow, they knocked that rock wall down. That's when we said, they're running, they're gone. And it was just like, oh God, I totally 
bought into it. And I was just like, oh God, you know, just kill me. So I finally got the okay to call it in. And I made the call. And then here I sit today. Broken Hearts will be off next Tuesday, which is Christmas Day, but look for a new episode on January 1st. For access to exclusive photos and videos and documents about the case, visit Glamour.com slash Broken Hearts. Have questions for us about this podcast? Reach us on Twitter at Glamour Mag or at Broken Hearts Pod. If you like what you heard, leave us a review. Broken Hearts is a joint production between Glamour and How Stuff Works, with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. Broken Hearts is co-hosted and co-written by Justine Harmon and Elizabeth Egan and edited by Wendy Noggle. Lauren Smiley is our field reporter. Samantha Barry is Glamour's editor-in-chief. Julie Shen and Deanna Buckman head up the business side of this partnership. Joyce Pendola, Pat Singer, and Luke Zaleski are our research team. Jason Hoke is executive producer on behalf of How Stuff Works, along with producers Julian Weller, Ben Kiebrick, and Josh Thane. Special thanks to Jen Lance. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.